through all of this. I found a video clip on YouTube which kind of summarizes in sound words and visuals basically what this passage is about in broad terms. It's going to show you Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, which we're going to be looking at today, and it's going to show you the altar that Joshua built in obedience to what the Lord tells the people right here. But I want you to listen to the words that the people in the background sing. They sing some Jewish words, kadosh, which means holy. Kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. Holy, holy, holy. And then Adonai, which means Lord, L-O-R-D, capital L-O-R-D. And then Sabaoth, which is God, host of the armies. In other words, in our language, God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy Lord, Yahweh Almighty. And that sums up the worship that had to be there before the people. I want you to listen to the music too. It's written typically in the way that they'd sing it in the Old Testament. It was just two, two variations on tone um, following each other. Right? There's a musical term for that. We don't have to worry about that now. But listen to it. And I'm asking you to just take in a bit. Set the scene for yourself as we go to this passage in Deuteronomy. So listen to this little clip. No, it's not working. And I can't sing it for you. All right. Just look at the video clips there. It's a, that's a real pity, though. So historically, they've now proven that's the altar that Joshua built on Mount Ebal that we're going to be looking at today. <laughs> Kadush, Kadush, Adonai, Sabaoth. 
When you hear those words repeated over and over, it's kind of remin- not reminiscent because we haven't got there yet, but revelation and the spirits around the Lord and the angelic beings, and they are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, over and over and over again. And it just pervades heaven. That's what it's supposed to be when they come and worship the Lord. And we're going to be looking at this this morning. So, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy, and we're going to read one section together for now. Deuteronomy 27, verse 1 to 13. Deuteronomy 27, verse 1 to 13. Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. And you shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you. A land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today. On Mount Ebal, and you shall plaster them with plaster, and there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God, and you shall sacrifice peace offerings, and you shall eat there, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, and you shall write on the stones all the words of this law. Very plainly. Then Moses said, Then Moses and the Levitical priests said to all Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Take note of that. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today. So that day Moses charged the people, saying, When you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And the Levites shall declare to all the people of Israel in a loud voice and then follow a whole bunch of curses which will come upon them. And then blessings after that. And we'll go through these as we look at this passage this morning. I want to just highlight one verse to you. And that is Deuteronomy 28 to verse 9 as our key verse. The Lord will establish you as a holy people, to, as a people holy to himself, as he has sworn to you. If 
you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in His ways. So when you look at those passages, and I hope you've read those passages, three chapters of them, is Christianity then a stick and carrot religion? If we do what God says, He blesses us. If we don't, He gives us the stick. You see, this accusation has been thrown at Christianity by atheists and many others. If we do what God wants, He gives us a good life with fluffy birds and flowers and everything we desire. But if we don't do what He wants, we get lightning and misfortune. You see, a superficial reading of these chapters might lead you to that conclusion. Curses for misbehavior, blessings for good behavior. In the ancient Near East, most agreements between a suzerainty and the weaker nation included elements of rewards if they kept to the agreement and punishment for breaking the agreement. And so Israel and the nations around them understood this whole concept. So is this just what God's doing? Is He just doing the same thing as the nations in this agreement with them? Today we use the same concept. If you, in, if you know about large contracts, especially big building contracts, if you build and keep to the contract time or finish before, then you get discounts. But if you go over time, you pay penalties. Same, same concept. They even used in dog training today. A guy called Ivan Pavlov, famous dead guy, he worked out this whole reward and punishment to modify behavior thing. And he called it conditioning response. So is God just busy conditioning us to respond in a way He wants us to respond? Carrot and stick. Is God just a heavenly dictator over us Christians, His underlings? I'd better listen to God if I want to live a happy life and not be continually punished. And many Christians secretly even have this attitude. When things come against them, they say, what have I done wrong? Carrot and stick. When things go well with them, God must be pleased with me. Is this what it's about? Well, I think not. Scripture will show us there's one essential element missing to that attitude, and that is the word relationship. There's a relationship here. There's a relationship between a father and his children. And we're going to see what that looks like. There's a relationship here of grace. Even though they misbehave, God shows grace, mercy, outside of the contract. So let's look at how this works. You see, if we have this first attitude that this is just a carrot and stick thing that's happening here, there's an added implication. Does God then only accept those who obey Him? Does He reject all the rest, even when they try to obey Him? And that would include most of us. You see, the whole point of Deuteronomy was what? Israel will fail. I've given them my law. They will fail. But, and that's where the grace comes in. I will be their God. They will be my people. I will forgive them their sins. And that's where that relationship is. And so, they have to start off from the right start. And that's where we get to chapter 26, verses 1 to 11. Give thanks 
And we're just going to read a few verses over there. Chapter 26. You shall go to the place, verse, uh, where are we now? Verse 2. You shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And you shall go to the priest who is in office at the time and say to him, I declare today that the Lord your God, to the Lord your God, that I've come into the land that you that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. And then you will bring various baskets of things and bring these to the Lord as a first fruit and a thanks offering and a peace offering. And there they would enjoy them before the Lord because he had been good to them. They were to give thanks to the Lord. And that's where the Feast of Pentecost started. You thought it was just in the New Testament, right? Pentecost, no. It started off way in the Old Testament where the people had to come and give thanks to the Lord. For his provision, they are the two words, thanks, provision. Did God need all these first fruits and offerings? No, God doesn't need anything. So why did he do this? It was to serve as a reminder to these Israelites that God was the one who provided for them. God was the one who was going to give them the land that they were about to enter. God was the one who would bring its blessings pouring out on them, the land of milk and honey. It was God who was going to conquer the nations ahead of them. Hadn't happened yet. It was God who was going to be the source of their prosperity and their blessing. Bring your gifts of first fruit to me when you're in the land, says the Lord, so that you will remember it is I who do these things for you. Because you will forget. They were to remember Jehovah, Yireh. Jehovah is the provider. I am your God. You are my treasured possession. I will look after you. But remember. And then interestingly, when does the Holy Spirit descend on the New Testament believers? During the week of? Pentecost, the week of celebrating God's provision as they come into a new era, into a new land, right? Wow, there's a picture. So what happens, chapter 27 and 28, because I can see you saying, well, those curses and things are coming. What's happening there? Well, we'll get there. As they were going into the land, the Lord says through his servant Moses, they were to raise an altar to the Lord as they entered the land. As they came through the river Jordan, they had to collect some of those large rocks that you find in those dry riverbeds. And they had to gather them together. They had to cart those things with them. All the way up Mount Nebo, you saw how high that was, all right? See those little Israelites struggling on those big rocks? There was a reason for that. God was trying to burn into their memories. And then he adds to that. When you get those rocks on top of Mount Ebal, I want you to plaster them, and I want you to write my commands on them. So they had to whitewash those and then write the commands. Now, it would have been in summary form. Maybe it was just the Ten Commandments, but they had to write God's law on those rocks. Visual reminders. So there they were, kiting the rocks up. They'd plastered them. They'd written God's law on them. And then he says, and once you've done that, next to those stones, I want you to put up an altar to me. And I want you to sacrifice on that altar. Surrounded by my promises to you and my commands. Do you see justice, mercy? Beautiful picture. As a visual reminder to these people 
Yes, my law is there for you to keep. You will fail, but my mercy and my grace is available to you through blood. Sacrifice. What a beautiful picture. I'll come to the cross of Christ. I can hear it in you. All right, we'll get there. You see, this is part of a bigger picture here. A bigger picture that God wanted to teach them about worshipping Him His way. I want you to be a people holy to me. How will you be holy to me? Remember my commands. Do them. When you fail, come to me for forgiveness. I will forgive and I will make you my holy people. There's the picture. The place that they were to bring to raise up this was going to be very significant. Because on this place, God was going to renew His covenant with them. Remember, He had made a covenant with them at the foot of Mount. We had given them His law initially. I am your God. You shall be my people. There shall be no other gods before me. And He gave them His Ten Commandments. And then Moses expounded those. Well, right there, He had made a covenant with them. You will be my people. I will be your God. And now He renews that covenant here. They're about to, they've wandered around in the desert for 40 years. They're about to enter into the, the promised land. They hopefully have learned from their sin. They hadn't, but anyway. And he was saying, I will now renew my covenant with you in a very visual way. What's the significance of the location, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal? That whole area was called Shechem. What had happened previously in their history at Shechem? Well, various things had happened. This is the place where God had promised Abraham the land. And he had said, I will make you a man of many nations. At Shechem was the place where Jacob returned with his family. These are the patriarchs of Israel. It was to Shechem that Jacob returned with his family. It was to Shechem that Joseph had requested that his bones be taken and buried there. Very significant. And so what an appropriate place for the covenant renewal ceremony with Israel. I've been faithful to your forefathers, says the Lord. You are now here, the new generation before me. I will be faithful to you. Be faithful to me, my people. And so right at this place where God had made this promise to Abraham 600 years before, he now has his people again. And he says to them, I am your God. You are my people. Amazing. And then we've got to those curses, all right? Okay, we'll look at it now. What does he mean by all these? If you go and look at the stretch there that he's talking about, um, chapter 27, we're talking from verse 9 onwards now. When you read through those lists of curses, it's really, really interesting. You see, the word for curses is the word judgment. I will bring my curses upon you. I will bring my judgment on you. For what? For sin. Nothing's changed. Sorry. Nothing's changed. God says, I'm a holy God. And I will bring my judgment on you for sin. When sin happens, I'm a holy God. I'm a just God. I must punish sin. I'm God. It must happen. If I didn't, I wouldn't be a just God. I wouldn't be God. And so, I will bring my curses on you. But interestingly, when you read the list of curses, they're for all kinds of weird and wonderful things. 
people sleeping with people, people sleeping with mothers-in-law and fathers, no, no, all kinds of things, sleeping with animals, weird laws. What was the point of that? You see, God was saying to them here that no area of your life is unseen by me, the all-knowing God. All sin must be paid for. All sin must experience the judgment of God. No small sin, no out-of-the-way sin, no weird sin will ever be overlooked by God. Why? Because I'm a completely holy and just God. And then, very interestingly, when the, when the curses are read, the people have to respond. I'm going to take one, verse 26. It's kind of a summary one of chapter 27. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. Cursed is anyone who does not confirm the words of this law that we've just said by doing them. Nothing's changed. And then the people bring the law on themselves. They've got to respond. And the, all the people shall say, Amen. Now what does that mean? It means, let it be so. You see what God's doing? If you sin before me, I must judge for sin. How do we sin? By hearing my word and not doing it. Jesus said the same thing later. And so what happens? The people Confirm that oath before the Lord. If we do not do so, your judgment be on us. Amen. So they implicate it. But praise the Lord, it doesn't end with curses. There's always His mercy, always His blessings as well. If you look at the rest of the chapter, chapter 28, and they're going to go slightly back into curses again, but Chapter 28 summarizes the blessings the Lord will bring on. And there's some things we need to highlight here. These blessings come with obedience. If you obey me, I will bless you. I will pour out my blessings on you. Literally, my blessings will overtake you. And the word overtake you is as in a flood. They will wash over you much more than you ever thought you could handle. They will come over you. They will take over you. Like my judgment took over the, the Egyptians in the Red Sea. It washed over them. They could, there was no control for them. It washed over them. Same word. My blessings will overtake you. That's what the Lord says to them. And note the tone of the blessings. And again, I hope you've read the text. We can't do it all. But there are words, there are phrases like, if you faithfully obey, Listen to the phrases. If you faithfully obey, if you listen to my voice, if you are careful to do, what's that talking about? Relationship. There's relationship here. And so why would they obey the Lord and experience His blessings? Because they love the Lord with all their hearts, their souls, and their minds. Deuteronomy 6.5 Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Why would you disobey? Remember, right at the beginning, we looked at Deuteronomy. God gave him his law. He said, I will be your God. I choose, almighty God, I choose to be your God. You don't choose me. I choose you to be your God. What a privileged people. Why would we not love him? But the sad thing is, just like Israel... 
even though they responded to the Lord, the sad truth was that they crossed over the Jordan. They set up the altar. They carried those rocks up onto Mount Ebal all the way. They plastered them. They, they, were, they were faithful to the Lord. They put His commands on those rocks. They built the altar to the Lord. They brought the sacrifices. And then they forgot about it and sinned. And their history is here. You can go and look it up. And what happened because of that? God's words came true to them. They brought His judgment, which they had said are meant to, they brought on themselves. And what happened? They were led off into exile. The kingdom was split in two. The Assyrians and the Babylonians became their masters. But did God leave them in that hell? And if you want to see what hell they experienced, go and look at the siege details of what happened in Scripture. They were terrible. People were fighting over, over afterbirths just so they have something to eat. Go and read. God saved them from that living hell. Why? Because they were listening to Him? No. Because of His grace and His mercy and His covenant promises to them. I will be your God. You will be my treasured possession. And yes, you've sinned, but I forgive you if you will be obedient. What a great God. He was faithful to them. And today he remains faithful to you and I too. And that's my so what's. Two points here under what do we do with this Old Testament passage? The first one is this. Curses or judgment because of sin are broken through faith. In Jesus Christ. I'll put that in slightly other words. God's judgment for sin is broken because of faith in Jesus Christ. God will never forgive, uh, and sorry, God will never forget sin that happens before Him. He will never overlook it. Never. But the curses that sin brings on us will be broken if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because He became the curse, the sin bearer. You see, Israel had to bring their sin offerings to that law-covered altar. See it in your mind's eye. That altar with God's laws around it. And yet there they could find remission for sin. They could find forgiveness. They could come there and and bring their shortcomings before the Lord. And see their shortcomings displayed to them through the law. But on that altar, they could find forgiveness through spilt blood. And the resulting curses were lifted from them and replaced by God's blessings. And it was a picture of something which would come in the future. The Messiah would come and do the same. But they had to come before that altar. And in the New Testament... Jesus was crucified on that law-covered cross. When we are confronted by the cross of Jesus Christ, it should remind us of our shortcomings before God's holiness. And there was Jesus Christ, crucified as a sacrifice on that cross, so that I don't have to experience the curses for sin that I commit every single day. Those curses are lifted from me. 
And Jesus takes them on himself. And in place, I get the blessings of God overwhelming me every day. Let's read about that. Romans. We have to go to Romans. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 26. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 to 26. Listen to this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been made plain to us apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Can you receive forgiveness for sin without coming to Jesus Christ? My friend, the bad news is no. You have to bear the curse for your sin on your own then. But if you come to Jesus Christ and you give Him your sins, and you make Him your Savior, and allow Him to be sacrificed on your behalf, your sin curse is removed from you. Your sins are taken away from you, and you receive the blessings of Almighty God as Yahweh, your provider. Why would you not come? You see, Jesus became the sin bearer on our behalf back in Romans. For there is no dis distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You are not the exception. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's lots of Christianese there. Alright? You are justified. You are made right before God in a legal sense by His grace as a gift, a free gift. You can't do anything for it through the redemption the being made free for, from sin that is only to be found in Jesus Christ, who God put forward as a sin payment, a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. The only way you can receive forgiveness is on your knees with outstretched arms. And in those hands and arms, there can be nothing you can't bring your goodness. You can't bring your talents and your gifts. There is nothing in your hands. And that is what you bring to God. And He will forgive. And in return give you the great gift of His blessings. Why would you not come? Ephesians 1, we read that earlier. All those blessings which are multiplied on us. That Lisa read for us in the service. You see... It proves over and over God is a faithful, covenant-keeping God. He renewed His covenant to the nation of Israel. He has His covenant to all those who would come in faith as the Israel of God. He will look after every single one of us that puts our faith in Him. And whether we go through ups or downs in life, it doesn't matter. God will keep His faithful promises to us. He will pour His blessings on us. Does that mean he overlooks our sin? No, no, it doesn't mean he overlooks our sin. But why would we want to sin in light of his blessings? But when we do sin, he forgives. What a great God. He's a faithful, covenant-keeping God. He sets us as believers high above the nations of the earth and allows his blessings to overtake us. His promise to Israel then, his promise to us as believers who put our faith in him. Hallelujah, what a Savior. This is the one who has chosen to be our God. 
there might be an amen between your Baptist some state. The second thing is this. God's justice towards sin is unchanging. He doesn't change. He's a holy God. But His grace is overwhelming. Now, I don't like giving personal examples, but I'm going to do it once here. One of my younger brothers died this past week. Very unexpected. Someone unthinkingly said this week, what have you guys done wrong? Does it mean that God's curse rests on us as a family because of our sin? And now my brother's gone. Others who experience grief in hard times, is that because of their sin? Is God giving us a stick instead of carrot? No. That's a misapplication of God's word, a profound misapplication. Rather, you see, it's a reminder to us as a family this week that we are mere sinful, though saved by grace, passing through this world mortals. And we are to live such lives before a holy and almighty and an all-knowing God that we reflect His goodness to us by living in obedience to Him because we love Him and are blessed by His name. That's the God that I know. But you see, it's also an occasion when we can experience and have experienced the grace of God poured out on us in our grief. We've experienced this from people on the internet, from church people. But more than that, we've experienced His grace to us through an overwhelming peace and strength He supplies when we are weak. And I've spoken to each of my other brothers. There are five of us now. Believers. And they say, it's just amazing that we can experience the peace of God in us. This is what we're talking about. Yes, we're sinful creatures before Him. Yes, we are saved by grace, but we come for forgiveness. And He pours out His mercies and His grace on us when we are weak. When we need His strength. He gives us His hope so that we know we'll see our believing loved ones again in the future. Because He's promised and He's a promise-keeping God. You will see them again. I am God. I do not change. I am almighty God. I will make it happen. I am your provider. I will not let you down. And we've experienced His love in our hearts. A love which drives out pain. Which drives out worry. Which drives out fear. His grace is overwhelming to His people. He's a faithful and holy God, kadosh, 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 holy three times, holy God, almighty Jehovah, the Lord of the heavenly hosts, looks after us and cares and provides for us. That's the God I love. That's the God I will worship and serve till the last breath comes in my body. Let's pray. Lord, you were trying to teach your people, Israel, so many lessons and 
They were successful many times, but Lord, they also failed many times. And Lord, as we sit here in 2019, may we learn from their example. May we be quick to obey, quick to trust you, but also, Lord, very quick to come and confess our sins before a God who will supply grace and mercy to us. May we not think that we can get away with unseen sins, because God Almighty and all-knowing will hold us to account, because you are the unchanging God. And Lord, we don't want to experience your curses, your judgment for sin. We know that if we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we keep our walk next to Jesus Christ and through the, the life that Jesus Christ gives us, that you will be faithful to your promises and you will supply your grace and your mercy and your blessings in abundance to your people. Lord, help us to remember these lessons when we go through dark times that you are the God who sees, you are the God who provides, you are the God who knows, you are our loving Lord. Help us to trust you in those moments and know that you will never change. You will be our provider, almighty God. Thank you for your goodness to us.